Hi there, I'm Margaret. Join me for a deep dive into the life of a freelancer. I share my clients' struggles and successes and celebrate those moments that make it oh so worth it. This is Freelance Freedom. Welcome to this week's episode of Freelance Freedom. I'm your host, Margaret, and we have a very special guest lined up for you today. We're talking about all things accounting for freelancers. And since I'm not an accountant, I wanted to introduce my guest, Susan. So Susan Watkin is a recognized and sought after accounting educator, small business advisor, and startup strategist. Working closely with business owners in all phases of their business life cycle, Susan strives to help those owners take their business to whatever level they want to reach. In her approachable style, she's upfront and pulls no punches when it comes to the reality of small business finance and all that it entails so that those she works with are given the tools for their future success. Susan is proud to be recognized as a leader in digital accounting technology, as well as holding a position as a trainer and writer for Intuit Canada and part-time professor at both Mohawk and Canador College in Ontario. Welcome. Thank you. So happy to be here. So happy to chat with you. You too. Uh, I'm so excited to have you here for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is I feel like accounting and law can be some of the murkiest places online when you're trying to find answers, especially. Um, so I'm excited to dive in, get some preliminary uh, preliminary questions and uh, and answers for some freelancers and small business owners out there. Yeah, great. Whatever I can do to help, I'm um, I love talking about it. So yeah, so fire away with your questions. Oh, perfect. Okay. All right. So to all the listeners, I do have to do this a little bit ahead of time, but all the information you're going to hear in this episode is based for general use cases and pertains to Canadian entrepreneurs and freelancers. So it's not meant to serve as specific financial advice, but rather general information. And there's no accounting client privileges assumed between you and Susan. So please seek out an accountant regarding your own personal financial conditions. So now that that's out of the way, let's dive in. Okay. Um, so I'll start off just with a couple, a couple sort of general questions, and then we'll dive into like the nitty gritty of all those specifics that that people usually wonder about. First, I'll I'll sort of hand the mic over for a minute or so, and just tell us about yourself and your business and the kind of services that you typically offer. For myself right now, actually, I've been in accounting for about 20 years. Uh, I have owned my own practice for the past eight years, but I right now I'm spending the majority of my time teaching and working closely with accounting professionals and owner-managed businesses in advisory capacities, working on things like financials and planning and especially financial education for themselves and their teams, uh, in particular for you know either we've got our startup organizations or businesses that want to be doing a lot more themselves. So really empowering them to take the reins to get control of the finances within their organizations. So that's my primary focus right now. But I do have an accounting practice where I work in, you know, we've got bookkeeping, accounting, taxation, all the typical services. Uh, but my primary goal is education at this point. And I'm excited to be a part of that. I love working with some of my uh, colleagues at Intuit, I'm fortunate enough to be able to do a lot of development and teaching for them, as well as now working with several colleges in Ontario. So that's very exciting for me. So right now, it's I'm even in a growth phase, and I'm you know constantly expanding and learning on what I want to do. But uh, my primary goal is working with businesses in Canada to help us grow and just basically reach the goals that we've set for ourselves and and help them get there, and, and preferably with as l- little pain as possible when it comes to the financial side. 
Awesome. Yeah. I think the education component is so huge. Like from, I know I can't speak to obviously what goes on in schools right now, but I know when I was in school, it was like, we kind of, I kind of had to figure all this out as I went. There wasn't, except for some sort of basic ledgering, there was, there wasn't much of it included. Uh, So yeah, I know you work with small business owners and, and some freelancers too. So when you work with freelancers and the small business owners, uh, what's their typical level of knowledge on finances when they come to you? And then like given the rise of the gig economy, there's a lot of people, a lot of people diving into work, whether it's having a full-time job and managing their side hustles or diving into freelance full-time. So what, what's their typical level of knowledge when they come to you? And, and where do you guys usually start off with at the information phase? Well, it's actually, it's, it's quite a, a, quite a mix because there are a lot of business owners and freelancers that are quite familiar with their business finances. They're quite comfortable. They, they like doing the work. They know how to manage them. But I guess I would say that on the whole, especially the people that are just starting out, uh, the majority are looking for more help and they need to understand more. They want to understand more, but uh, given that finance is not their expertise, they're focused on their business, right? And their passion. And that makes sense. Uh, But however, a general understanding of what the finances can do to benefit the growth of their businesses, as well as what their obligations are in terms of, you know, the government and taxation, I find that that's very limited, you know, from what I've experienced. Uh, so these these professionals, they they want to know more, but they truly find that gathering the information is incredibly overwhelming, you know. So that's the that's the biggest part for me is is when I get working with some of them is is just basically being that guide, you know, showing them this is where we find this information and this is where you're going to learn about uh, this particular thing that's related to your industry because there's so many differences depending on what we're doing and what we're selling. So it's uh, a lot of them are looking for the information. Many of them are, are getting frustrated. They don't have what they need. And so that's where I kind of step in to, to help guide the way. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I think that clarity is so needed. Um, so that's my segue. Speaking of clarity, <laughs> let's dive into some some because of course we can we can talk for a while on on yeah. general concepts, but the uh, I think it's kind of the nitty gritty that we uh, that people are are dying sure. to know. So, <laughs> so let's, let's, so let's get in there. It's exactly yeah, enough, right? <laughs> for, for sure. <laughs> uh, I will reiterate again that uh, Susan and I are both Canadian and. This is the this is the area of specialty, so it's for sure useful for people in the United States, especially dealing with dealing with Canadian clients. But also, uh, just remember that what a lot of the stuff that we're talking about are specific to uh, specific to Canadians as well. Yes. Yeah. So, so speaking of, so in Canada, so when a first when a person first starts out as a sole proprietor, which we will talk about the differences with those as well. Uh, do they need to start? I think this is one of the biggest questions. Do they need to start charging sales tax like HST, GST on top of their goods and services? Uh, usually, I mean, usually it's services. Uh, and if not, do they like? Do they not have to pay that right away? Where does that money go? And is there any advantage to getting all of that set up as early as possible, even if they don't have to? Yeah. So that that is probably the the number one question I get asked, and. Uh, what I try to tell people is there, when you're just starting out, you don't have to charge tax, okay? There's rules uh, on when you need to start. So the CRA is created 
for us a registration threshold uh, for businesses when it comes to sales tax. So they've said they've set out there to ease the bur- burden of our startups, right? So that they're like, okay, well, the threshold right now for most businesses is thirty thousand dollars in four consecutive quarters. So what they're trying to tell you is that if you're not going to be earning that, if you're doing a home business or you're just doing a few things on the side and you're not going to be reaching that, well, then no, there's no need. You don't have to register for HST. You don't have to collect. You also don't get to claim uh, what you've spent. But the priority here is that it's one less thing for you to do. So you have to, though, keep in mind that that first invoice that's going to push you over that 30000 within those four quarters, you do have to register. Okay, so there's some pretty tight rules when it comes to the HST. It's really a personal decision as to whether or not a business that has not yet earning should voluntarily register for sales tax in their province. Because once you register, you have a minimum, you have to stay registered for a year. So it's a commitment. So you need to file, you need to track, you need to do all that thing. So I always tell people that if you don't need to, then take advantage of the threshold that the CRA has set for us. They're giving you this grace period. But if you really want to, because advantages for some is that your customers get used to it right off the bat. You can start offsetting the sales tax that you collect with the sales tax you're paying. So those are your input tax credits. So there's, it's two sides, right? It's just really, it's more important for me that the businesses that I work with understand that there is a limit. It's that $30,000. And they need to understand that that's not $30,000 every year. As soon as you hit that once in the four consecutive quarters, you're registered, you are registered. That means no matter how much you make or don't make, Going forward, you need to collect and remit HST until you're able to cancel the account. So that's that's a bigger concern that I have that some people have been very um, confused about or have been misinformed. And they think that, oh, it's only every year once I make 30000 No, once you register, if you voluntarily register, you have to pay, collect and remit. And then now ongoing... You have to continue no matter how much you make. You cannot cancel an HST account, GST HST account until you've held it for at least one year. Okay. Okay. So this is, it's a very confusing thing. It is one <laughs> of the, the biggest confusing items. And, and if we talk more about this later on, it is one of the most complicated uh, concepts and items that I see with all businesses. For sure. Even yeah. the snippet that you gave right there, I feel like that provides a huge amount of clarity because there's so <laughs> much, there's so much, even though it, I, we know it goes deeper and things get more complicated yeah. uh, at the, at the surface, looking at it online, it's, I feel like the, the language surrounding it can be vague. So some people can sort of fill in their own gaps with that. Um, so it's nice to finally have some clarity around it. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that helps. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Awesome. Um, so I know, I'm sure we, I mean, we could do a whole episode just. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but jumping ahead. So, so switching gears a little bit, there's a lot of people are nowadays are working, working remotely or working from home and people that means not only can can you as a freelancer or a small business be independent? But that means your clients can be sort of an independent location too. And that's crossing borders, not only of provinces, but sometimes of countries. So as far as tax goes, if I'm in, I'm in Ontario and I have a client in BC, like how does that work as far as... Um, so I know as far as income tax is a whole different game, but as far as sales tax, uh, how does that work between provinces and... I know it gets a bit more complicated across borders, but if you want to talk more in general terms about that. 
Well, like like I was just saying in the last one, it is the one of the most complicated conversations that we have. And then, and so now I'm going to make it more so for you because <laughs> when we we live in a country where obviously we have many provinces and territories, and every province and territory has basically a different designation when it comes to sales tax. So we have, we're made up of two things. We're made of what's called participating and non-participating. Okay. So participating provinces and territories are those that are under the harmonized sales tax system, which is HST. All of the non-participating provinces are those that are still doing their own provincial sales tax in addition to GST. So that's like British Columbia, Alberta, Manitoba, some of the territories, whereas we've got our harmonized sales tax is, for example, that's Ontario and the East Coast, uh, excluding Quebec. So depending on where you're going, so the number one thing people get confused with, because you're absolutely right, the, the verbiage on the CRA site is, is very confusing because they use the word supply, where, you know, where you're distributing your supply or what type of supply, what that is, is that that's just what you're selling. Okay, mm-hmm. so what you are doing and the key thing you have to remember, everybody has to remember is, is where you are providing that service, not where you are. But where is it going? Okay, so in in terms of a product, it's quite easy because you know where you're shipping it to, right? So you know it's I'm shipping, I'm in a, I'm in a, Ontario and I'm shipping to British Columbia. Easy, that's easy to determine. So that can tell you what your tax rates are. When we're providing services, it's a little bit more difficult because you're thinking, well, I'm here. Where are they? You're still. It's where you're invoicing. Where who is getting what you're selling, and where they're receiving it. So they're they're watching it or, or uh, unprovided services for them, but they just happen to be located in Alberta, right? So even if I'm in Ontario and they're in Alberta, it's going to determine for me what I have to charge them. Alberta, in this case, is a non-participating province. So I only charge them GST because my particular service doesn't fall under their provincial sales tax system. And Alberta is a bad example because it doesn't have provincial sales tax. But that's so there's so there is so much more so you have to number one you have to understand what are you selling is it even taxable or is it exempt mm-hmm. where are you selling it to and what are the tax rules for that province because it's not if they're in a non-participating province meaning they do gst and pst right off the hop if you're outside if you're in ontario immediately you have to charge the federal tax which is gst but there are some people that are selling particular things that might have to register to collect and remit provincial sales tax within that province. So mm-hmm. it gets huge. Like people don't understand the scope of, of sales tax and it, like it, it even expands. So where am I advertising my services? If I'm directly advertising within a non-participating province, then I might be required to pay provincial sales tax on any sales I make in that province, right? So there are some serious rules and I, I recommend when people get started and they're getting set up they really need to talk to somebody, get some help. But I'll be, I'll be honest with you. There's many businesses that don't understand. And, but there's also a lot of people I've worked with accounting professionals that aren't as clear on this as well. So it is a very complicated topic. So the best thing is obviously look at what the CRA has to say, help get somebody make some clarity. But if you are selling outside of your home province, you need to look into what are, what could be your obligations within the provinces that you're selling. Okay. Yeah. Cause that'll like, when you mentioned advertising, I mean, that adds a whole other layer that never never even occurred to me for sure. Well, if you're, if you're, if you're doing a blanket advertisement, you know, for example, let's do a Facebook thing and, and it's just hitting everybody in Canada. That's fine. You're not targeting. But if you specifically create an ad 
that if I'm in Ontario and I'm specifically targeting people in Manitoba, like my set is Manitoba sales that I've that result of this advertising. I am. It's possible, and at least the last time you know I checked and I spoke to their Ministry of Finance, is that I'm then responsible to collect and remit provincial sales tax to them because I have targeted them specifically. And it's so it can get pretty messy. This is just one of those topics where guy a helping hand is really required. Somebody who really understands it. And the best thing I can honestly tell you, the best thing people can do is online. There is the phone number for the GST HST rulings, technical support. This is with the CRA. These are some of the nicest people. It's a very small department and they basically will talk you through everything. And they will tell you what you need to do. It is not the main business line, but it's specifically called the GST HST rulings technical division. And you call them and, and I call them on a regular basis because there's so many different scenarios with people working globally, with webinars, with recorded things, with IP. There's so many different things that will affect our sales taxes. So it doesn't hurt to call them and, and spend some time and, and get them to help you figure out what, to, what applies to you. Okay, great. So GST, HST ruling, just as a heads up, uh, I'll put that in the show notes for everyone and I'll, I'll link up that, uh, that phone number uh, for you guys. And so if they're, so no matter what province they're in, in Canada, they can, they can call this and yeah. we'll have sort of Canada wide, they'll have all the Canada wide guidelines and rules, any questions that they might have? Yeah, this is a CRA organization, right? So this is, these are guys within the CRA that just work specifically on providing rulings and technical support when it comes to federal sales tax. They can't help you with the provincial sales tax, but they can at least tell you about the federal side, the GST, HST side. Okay, perfect. Perfect. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll link that up in the show notes. That's hugely helpful. Thanks for that. No problem. So also, to th- I know we're talking about going across uh, across provincial borders, and then if we can talk a little bit about sort of two aspects of going over, going beyond country borders is, I think there's, I guess there's two components to that. There's the charging the tax component and then charging in another currency component, mm-hmm. um, which of course can can add more complications, especially when there's huge disparities like there is yeah. right, right now. No, yeah. So say I was in Canada, which I, I have some colleagues where this happens a lot and I'm in Canada and have US clients um, as far as paying sales tax and charging in another currency. How does that typically happen? Well, in most cases, it depends on the business that you're selling to because it might be an organization that has a foothold within Canada. So they could be an, uh, a registrant with our CRA. You don't know. You have to talk to them, obviously, and that's part of your setting up your billings. Um, but in the most cases, when we are selling outside of Canada, regardless of well, you're, where you're selling, if uh, if the organization is not registered or or doesn't have a, an affiliation within Canada, we don't charge them our sales tax system because they have no ability to remit, collect, report uh, within Canada. So what that becomes, it's a zero rated is what we call it. Uh, so outside. It's not exempt. There's a big difference. People get them confused quite a bit. Exempt is when the product that you're selling is exempted. It is non-taxable or you're working with somebody who has a status card, for example. Um, But uh, so when we work outside of Canada, it's usually zero rated. So that's a zero percent tax. Now, when it comes to the currency, there's not a problem. You can charge in whatever currency you choose to. You just have to understand that you're in Canada. You report in Canadian dollars, which means 
whatever you make in the foreign currency has to be reported in a Canadian converted amount, which means you're going to need to be doing some multi-currency. You're going to have foreign exchange. So that's usually, those are the times when you really, really need a good software that's going to help you track that and do these uh, conversions for you so that when you're reporting, you're reporting properly. Yeah, for sure. And I don't think I'd be able to do that without software. I mean, that's been such a lifesaver, especially with different currencies, for sure. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I wouldn't recommend it either. Yeah. <laughs> also, too, uh, I did want to I did want to clarify because we are... I know I mentioned at the beginning of the question, but we're talking about... Um, because we're talking about sales tax. But yes. I did want to make sure that everyone knew that even though you're not charging sales tax, you still have an income from them. So you are still paying income tax on the money that you're bringing in, even if it's from another country, if you want to correct me if I'm wrong. No, no, that's perfect. I'm glad you said that, Mark, because it is very true. People get them confused. Mm -hmm. Sales tax is something that we collect on behalf of the government. It is not our revenue. It's um, It's not our earnings. It's not our money. Okay, so it's not your cash, you're collecting it on behalf of the government. Whereas income tax is what you are taxed on your net income, basically. So if you have a profit after your revenue versus your expenses, then you're taxed on the net profit of that, uh, of that, of your sales for that year. Okay, so there are two separate things. Taxes, yes, are above and beyond sales, like income taxes, sales taxes, it's on behalf of the government. So we get, I get a lot of people that are very confused because they feel like, you know, it's a, oh, it's a cash grab or I have to pay this. It's always taxed. And sales tax, it's not your money to begin with. We, yeah. don't, we don't report it as revenue. We don't record it as revenue. And quite frankly, we're lucky that we get to then write off the sales tax that we pay um, products and services to help us run our businesses because it actually reduces our liability there. So, which is always nice, but the income tax is, is a tax that everybody pays. Okay. And that's always above and beyond your earnings. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah, no problem. And I know we talked a little bit about sort of the money that the, all the money that we're taking, that we're taking in. So if we, if we switch gears a little bit and talk about the money that we're putting out as a company, so expenses and, and I, I want to say in quote, write-offs, whoop, there's of course that component of the, of the company as well. So drilling it down, do you want to tell us uh, basically what write-offs are? Because I think the biggest misconception about them is that, oh, it's a write-off. You get like free money back from the government <laughs> or the, whatever it is you've quote unquote yeah. written off is actually free. Yeah. And so many people I feel like still have this misconception. So do you want to clear that up for us? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is where the pulls no punches comes in, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Number one. Uh, write-off is is a misnomer in this uh, subject that we're dealing with. It's not a write-off. Okay, what what we're talking about is business deductions. A write-off is something that we actually do. It is a it is a term, but it's used when we deal with uncollectible sources of revenue. Okay, so it's a totally different thing. What we're talking about here is business deductions, our expenses. I get to, and I understand people use the term write-off. Okay, it's it, but it's different. So what what we're dealing with here is the business deductions are those that those expenses that we incur as a business in the course of our business activity that we require to do business. Right. So these are reasonable expenses, and I use that term with uh, parentheses, underlined, bolding. Reasonable expenses and must fall within the guidelines of this that the CRA sets out for us. Okay? Okay, so not everything can be ducted. Uh, the point, again, is it has to be reasonable. It has to be realistic. And you have to prove it. 
Okay. Not just prove it by a receipt, but you have to prove the validity of the expense. Like you have to be able to, I, to, I tell my clients is, can you own this? Can you explain this to me? If somebody comes in and asking you, what's the purpose of this and what did this do for you? How did this help you make money? Because sometimes that comes down to, that's how people can determine, oh, well, yeah, you're right. It's not really a a legitimate expense, right? So, you know, all the meals, lunches out, things like that, those are big misconceptions. People think, oh, I can deduct everything. You can't. Most of them are not deductible. And the ones that are allowable expenses, meals, for example, are reduced in half at tax time. So what people think that a lot of businesses I've experienced, especially some startups, but some some that have been around for a long time, they kind of look at business expenses and deductions as a license to spend. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, I have a business credit card. Oh, the company will pay for it. Oh, the company will pay for it, right? And what happens is, is they get themselves into a lot of trouble because they either overspend, they go, they go crazy, and it's and then they're just being unreasonable with what they're trying, you know, trying to write off. Write off. It's not free money. It is deductions so that you can earn revenue. And so there's only so much we can spend in order to earn money before the government comes in and says, okay, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think that's, so going back to the statement of, does this help you make money? I think that's huge in either forcing people to say, yes, this is how, and having them say, well, no, I just kind of wanted to. <laughs> well, it, exactly. And that's the one thing I always tell people, because, you know, we have our three three things that we look at as a business. We've got our money in, and then we have two sections of money out. So we've got our direct costs. Those are the ones where you say, if I cannot buy this, there's no way I'm going to be able to earn a dollar. So for example, you know, for manufacturers, well, I can't, if I don't buy my raw materials, I can't make my product. So those are directly related, obviously totally legit. And then we have our operating costs, which are things that they might not necessarily help us make a dollar, but they're helping us keep the business open. And that's things like our rent and our insurance and, you know, things like that. So everybody needs to kind of look at that for their particular business. And really, if they can answer that question, I can't do this, I can't run this company unless I buy this. If the answer is yes, I have found in most cases that they're correct, right? It's uh, Most people are, are reasonable in this, though we do see a, a few interesting ones. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So I'm, de- I'm definitely going <laughs> to... I'm definitely going to poke deeper on that. So what, that, as my follow-up, uh, what's, yeah. the, what's the craziest thing someone's tried to put through as an expense? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I've seen certain sports cars uh, oh, come geez. through. Yeah. Uh, full kitchen renovations for somebody who works out of their house. Um, I've, I've had somebody trying to claim their pet food as security because they have dogs on the premises and it doesn't work. Oh my God. (laughs) It's, and that's probably nothing in compared to some, right? It's there, there are things that, you know, people try We're we're, this is the, we work on the honor system in Canada and our, with regards to our, our taxes and people will try anything until somebody stops them, right? So what we're trying to do is educate the, the clients because, you know, I'd rather them, you know, this ounce of prevention so they don't have to deal with the, the, the stress of an audit because it is stressful and it, it can be quite expensive, you know, to people who have to undergo this. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's the, reason, the reasonability test. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so some people, and that brings up a good point because some people might, as I'm sure these people did, they might have the mindset of, well, what could go wrong if I just try? Like, how yeah. could it hurt? Yeah. But 
there are ways it can hurt. And can you talk a little bit about how it can hurt specifically in the sense of raising red flags for auditing and things like that? Yeah, it's there. There's certain I don't obviously I don't work for the CRA, so I don't know how a lot of their stuff uh, how it works when we submit things. But I know there's a lot of algorithms that are looking for specific things. There are accounts. There's certain types of expense accounts that get flagged more often than others. You know, when mm-hmm. we're talking about things like meals and entertainment, uh, the uh, professional fees. So those ones, um, a lot of times, those are the ones that flag. These, these audits, okay, because people get a little bit, a uh, little bit carried away. And, and the result is usually the, the expenses get denied. So they get come back out. So now you have, you have a higher tax burden. There's very large penalties. Uh, people can't pay them if you can't justify them. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's even more, you know, it's, I don't know how it works in terms of, you know, prison sentences or, you know, being arrested for fraud and things like that. That's, you know, happily, I've never had to deal with a client that's gone that far. Um, but it could be quite devastating for people that, that try this. It's, it's quite frankly, it's not worth it. I don't, I don't understand why people do this, but it's, you know, the reality is this could hurt you and it, and it could hurt your entire livelihood. You know, and it, and I would assume it would set up red flags. I don't, uh, I don't know for certain, but uh, I presume that there would be some flag on on a file later on. Yeah, I would think so too. Okay, that's good to know because I do think some people are they go into it fairly innocently, say thinking like, oh, well, what's the harm in trying? But yeah. the reality is, is it could it could set the wheels in motion for yes. for a much bigger inquiry. Exactly. And quite frankly, we don't know. Like, I don't know. The, the yeah. government doesn't exactly advertise this is what's going to happen if you don't do this. The reality is, is that you're owning a business. You're a professional. You have rules. So you get online, figure out what those rules are and follow them. It's not, uh, it's kind of simple, actually. You know, let's, let's, if we all do our part, then we're going to kind of keep our, you know, our taxes at reasonable rates. We're not going to get penalized. We're not going to deal with higher, you know, penalties and, and filing issues, right? It's, it's one of those that, you know, if we, we, we just want to run companies in Canada, you know, it's what makes up Canada is, is the number of our small businesses. So it's, it's the guidelines are there, do your best to follow them. And nobody's perfect, but do, do your best. If you have questions, call the CRA. It's, uh, they're there to help. Yeah, that's good. That's good advice. Thanks. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so enough about expenses. Let's. I know we spoke. We touched a little bit about uh, income tax, which again I want to clarify is different from the sales tax that we already talked about. So this is on on your income, not the tax tax that you're charging on behalf of the government. That's right. Um, so when you're when you're pulling in income, what generally as a rule do you have a percentage that you would recommend people put aside? to be paying to be paying the income now of course there's all different brackets and things like that so let's assume it's somebody's pulling in 40 50,000 dollars a year yeah that's it that's actually a really tough question to answer uh, mm-hmm. people think that oh well i'm making this how much tax do i have to pay the reason being, you have a couple of things you have to deter. I, I would have to know, for example, if somebody came to me and said, Hey, I'm making about 50,000. How much tax do I have to pay? Well, I'd have to understand if they're, are they a sole proprietorship business or they're a corporation? 
you know, because one is directly related, one is its own separate entity, right? Now, in most cases, we're here, we're talking about solopreneurs, and these guys, this is directly related. There's no difference between you and your personal taxes. So therefore, you're paying higher tax rates on all of the money you earn because you're paying under the personal tax system. So there's things that you have to consider. And that's why it's so hard because I can come to you and say, well, if you're making 50 grand, you're going to want to put away X thousands of dollars, which is, I know for myself, it's probably if we look at, we have to look at federal side and we have to look at the provincial side. So if I'm in Ontario and if I have nothing else and my net income is $50,000 after all is said and done, I'm going to be looking at paying about 10 grand in tax. Mm -hmm. So, but the reality is, is that if you're making 50 grand, there's probably a whole lot of other expenses, right? It's not, it's not simple to estimate because we need a significant amount of information. You know, what's your business income expenses, your personal situation? Do you have children, investments, medical, right? Because all of those things impact what your overall taxable income will be. Mm. Right. Especially when you're a solopreneur, because it's all on the one T1 general income tax form. Right. So it's very, very difficult um, to to estimate. I always try to tell people, like, look, if you want to save, you're going to want to be saving about 20 percent. OK, if you want to save. So that's your like your after tax dollars. Right. So I, I, you know, put the money aside plan for that if that's what you're looking at it's it's a good 20 to 30 percent and that's on your please keep in mind that's kind of on that after your expenses right so but it's too it's too difficult but like i said if at the end of the day after everything your taxable income was 50 grand you'd be paying ten thousand in tax that year right okay thereabouts yeah and i know it's so tough because it it varies person to person but i do think that yeah i do think it gives people a good idea because even if they're even if they're putting aside 20 25% if at the end of it they end up paying 4 grand instead of 10 well well, that's well they have an extra six grand sitting in the bank, which is which is well nice. because a lot of things that people don't realize. There's a lot of non-refundable tax credits that we get on our personal income taxes, so mm-hmm. you don't technically get money back for it. But what it does is it does help to lower your taxable income, right? So if I can, I can tell you on your business side generally, but it might wind up being something totally different depending on on your personal tax situation outside of your business. So it is a tough one. If people really want to work on that, like I have clients that part of the business strategies we work on is tax planning, but that's something, that's a big process. That's understanding their their lives, understanding the other things that are going in, understanding their goals, where they want to be. And then we can actually accurately plan that out and uh, prepare for next year with, with a relatively close uh, tax budget. Yeah. And I found that even to be, to be true for myself too, because I've tried to, in the past, think of like, okay, 20 to 30% and put this aside. But I found that the system that worked a bit better for me was to, to sort of take the average of what I've paid based on like the sort of relative income and then set up automatic withdrawals for the years following based on that amount. And it seems to be around like maybe I'll be, I'll be up a little bit at the end or be down a little bit and and end up paying out, but it seems to be, to be pretty close. And I feel like that's the system that works for me. So there are, so I think, yeah, there are a few options for people to, to explore, to get, get in the groove of of how much they need to pick out for sure. Yeah, And and quite frankly, anything that you can put aside is going to help you. 
right? Yeah. But, you know, it's just being prepared. It's I think that's usually what hurts a lot of people is being unprepared where, you know, for example, on the sales tax side, they're not putting aside the HST they're collected. So they're scrambling when they have to remit, right? Because, you know, they're using that cash to supplement their own cash. And then with sale with income taxes, they're not preparing to see, understand, you know, how much might I have to pay? So again, they're ill prepared for that in terms of their cash flow, right? That's what usually hurts the most people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and we did talk a little bit about sole proprietors, but I know we've sort of tossed around the word of incorporation a little bit too. I know, again, these are two very in-depth and, and corporations themselves can get yes. ex- extremely complicated. But if you could give sort of um, a 30,000 foot view on the difference between the two of those, especially to someone who is just starting out, who would automatically become a sole proprietor and be that way for probably two to three years at least. Well, so obviously, so your sole proprietorship, as I said, there's no difference between you and the sole proprietorship. It's just an individual. You own the business. It's part of your personal taxes. Everything you earn is your earnings. Everything you spend is your spending. All the liability, all the liability is yours alone. So when we get into incorporating, incorporations, that becomes now you're creating a separate entity. Okay, so it's now its own entity, it has its own liability, it's got its own requirements, its own responsibilities. So now you're kind of making that division, you're separating yourself. So a lot of people like being solopreneurs, because, you know, they feel like, oh, that having a corporation is kind of scary, or it's too big, or they don't need it. But it has nothing to do with that, you know, um, going from sole proprietorship to incorporation really has to do with the development of the business itself, right? So if there's changes that could impact the liability of the owner, that's something that might uh, send up a flag to say, hmm, maybe I need to be incorporated here because I don't want my, you know, I don't want to be impacted personally too much. But in most cases, it really has to do with the the earnings, right? So as the business has become, you know, more, more than self-sustaining, so there's becoming now profitable, it, the level of profitability really helps people dictate whether they want to move from a sole proprietorship to incorporation because it is the taxes that there is a very significant disparity between paying income taxes personally and uh, as a corporation. So that's usually the biggest, the biggest difference is you're looking at, it's a two separate entity. It's a new, its own entity, different tax rules, different tax rates, different obligations. There's, there's things that we can do as a sole proprietor that we can't do as an incorporation and vice versa. Right. So it's, it is a big thing. And uh, I always tell people it's, it's a big decision to make because they have to determine whether or not, is it worth it? The cost to incorporate, the cost to manage a corporation is significantly higher than operating a sole proprietorship. So is that going to benefit you in the end of the day when it comes down to how much income tax you're going to have to pay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I know I can uh, speak to my own experience too, because I... It was in, I think it was 2016 when I transferred over to to be incorporated as opposed to continuing as a sole prop or even 20, maybe late 2015. But uh, yeah, there was a lot to consider. Not only, I mean, at the at the forefront of it, of course, it's more appealing because there's there's lower tax rates, but you still have to, but it's only, it felt to me only worth it if there was more money mm-hmm. going into and staying in the company as opposed to the amount that I had to pull out myself. So that was kind of a big deciding factor for me. I know everyone's everyone's situations can be a little bit different because, of course, 
people's personal life expenses are yes, yeah. vary so greatly as well too. So there's no way we can we can really put a number on it. But I know for for myself, it was looking at okay, well, am I starting to make more than I personally need, and can I keep a bunch of it in? the company and then be able to pay less tax on that. But you're right. It was, it was weighing out the pros and cons because not only, yeah, to save on tax, but then just the upkeep of a corporation in general was more expensive. So there is some, a bit of like a cost benefit analysis that for sure it's a, it wasn't a snap decision. There was a bit of research that had to go into it for sure. Yeah. And that's good. And I always recommend people do that because, you know, there are those advantages and there's the disadvantages of doing it. And it's just, it's a lot more, I see people doing it themselves and it usually, it usually does create some problems down the road because there is stuff that gets missed. It's not, uh, it, it can be a complicated matter and it, it really depends on the business, like what, whose business this is, what you're doing, what you're selling, because there's some organizations, some industries that you have to incorporate right away. It's the live, it's automatically, you, you need to do so. You can't operate as a sole proprietor. Would those be ones that are maybe a bit more litigious that have? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're, we're, talk, <laughs> we're talking about things like anybody who deals with food, children, oh, okay. medical, yeah. you know, when you're impacting somebody else directly, in most cases, those companies um, are forced to incorporate for the, for the limited liability right away. Oh, okay. Yep. That would make sense for sure. Um, so I know we know it depends on the person's, business situation as well as personal situation that there is no line in the sand as to when you when you need to switch over but what are some indications that you should at least start the conversation um so for me it's it's usually unless the industry has changed or something has changed within for that company that says oh my gosh we need to put some more liability in here it is it does come down to the earnings right most often that's what it has to, that's what it comes down for me so when we're when i'm working with a client and we're managing it throughout the year this is not a decision too that you make at the end of the year so i i i'm very against these annual reviews of company files because i feel like we then we're making decisions on something that's happened and we can't influence that so i work with clients uh regularly minimum of like every quarter to kind of see well where is the business going what is coming up because i want to i want to look to see if, if where their profitability lies, are there going to be some significant expansion, uh, expansions or growth or revenue within the next three, six, nine months, because then we can plan to incorporate at the right time. But it, cause it always comes down to the money. If, if they're, like I said, it depends on who you ask, you'll get a different answer. But for me, it's like, if I'm looking that they're able to retain on a regular basis, more than say $5,000 a month profit, like you said, you've taken everything you've needed, and you still have all this money sitting that you can turn over and over and over again into the business. If I'm seeing that on a regular basis every month, well, then I'm going to look at it and say, okay, there's, we're continuing growth patterns. This is where we're going to be. That's where I would look at and talk to my clients say, I think it's time to consider this because you're on that, the growth, there's a lot of money able to stay in the company now. And it also too depends on the company itself. Maybe they don't want to grow anymore. Then I might not say, say no, then don't bother. But if most, most people want to grow their company. So in that case, then we'll have that conversation, but we're constantly looking at that on a regular basis because in that way we can incorporate before, uh, before there's so much money on the table that the tax liability at the end of the year is massive, right? So it's, uh, and that's usually what happens. What I've seen with some companies that uh, have come to me is, is sometimes that they've incorporated and it's, it's after they got that first, uh, 
they've made they have a hundred hundred thousand dollar net profit and they're you know having to pay a thirty thousand dollar tax bill right so mm-hmm. it's uh, it, it's monitoring and it's the money it's really watching the the growth of the business the money and how much money can stay in that stay in that business that really helps determine do we go to that next step. Yeah, great. Uh, that's great advice. So yeah, when you start approaching that phase of, of increased cash flow, mm-hmm. consult, a, consult a professional, get someone to take a look at your books for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, awesome. Although I know, I do know money can be and finances can be quite stressful and, and overwhelming for people to sit there and go through cash flows. Um, anyone who's doing things themselves, who hasn't quite got hasn't got an accountant yet, hasn't got a financial advisor on their side, any tips you can give them to stay on top of their cash flow? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So again, we're going to come back to the no holds barred here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so first thing is you got to get over the fear. You got to get over it. And because if you don't understand the numbers, you're never going to get on top of the cash flow and it's and you're never going to understand what your business is doing and you're always going to be in a perpetual cycle of cash crunch and nobody wants to live there okay because it is it is the number one reason businesses fail you know so many businesses fail within the first couple of years and it is almost always because of cash and i look at a lot of the companies and organizations that i i'm fortunate enough to work with which is amazing and a lot of them are startup companies and where we see where i see the biggest issue is i'm happy you're focused on your 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 passion in your business, but they, they're afraid of this num- the numbers. They're afraid because it's not showing them what they want to see. So then they avoid it. Well, then they run out of money. So it's, and then they have no choice but to close. And, and I don't want to see that. I hate seeing that. So no one expects them to know everything about accounting and taxes, but they need to understand, you know, what is going on. And the way they can, the easiest way to control your cash flow is keep track of stuff, right? So you, if they're tracking something, they're able to manage the cash, monitor the cash that's flowing through the business in and out, which is going to help them stay on top of it, right? And, you know, Keep on top of the clients that owe you money. Watch those receivables. That's, you know, the money that people owe you. Watch your outlay of cash. Okay. So a lot of times people are starting up and they think, okay, I have to spend all this money. I need all this inventory or I need all this stuff. No, you don't. Okay. So you, the, the expression tied up in inventory is here for a reason because a lot of people do that and they wind up cash poor because they have thousands and thousands of dollars of stuff that they can't sell yet. So the best way for managing cash flow is you have to manage your bookkeeping. You have to be looking at it. You have to be tracking it because otherwise you don't know. It's not, it's not like just balancing a checkbook. It's, it's where's the money coming from? When is it expected in and when is it expected out? Right? So the biggest thing that I find that hurts the most people is, as I mentioned earlier, is that, that HST, Mm-hmm. Because that's pure cash that you're holding on for the government until you have to file it. And as tempting as it is to go and spend it, you know, but if you do spend it, well, boom, now you have, this is where I see the biggest cash fails is that they're like, oh, now I've, I've used that money. It's not my money. And now I'm stuck, you know, because they're not paying attention. They're not looking to see, oh, that's going to be coming up in six months or, or my sale, my income tax is coming up in six months. It's, it's planning and looking at what is going on and really understand what's going on financially within your business. It can't just be about this is what I sell or this is what I make and that's me and that's my life. I wish it could be that easy, but it's not. If we, if we, we put our heads in the sand and we don't look at the numbers, 
the business is not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important for so important for businesses, like you said, and also to just to even extrapolate that into into personal finances a little bit too. I know we're focusing on business, but just as a side note, I do. I know so many people who they're like, "Oh, I don't know how much I owe. I don't. I don't open my credit card statements. Yes. They don't want to look at them." And I'm like, "That gives me a heart attack thinking about yeah. that. How do you not know?" Yeah, <laughs> you 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 would be surprised the number of, or maybe you wouldn't be. I don't know, but the you know, in my many many years of doing this, twenty years, you'd be surprised with the number of people that I see where I'm seeing documents and they're coming to me unopened unopened envelopes from the CRA, unopened envelopes from the banks, because it's fear. People Mm -hmm. are so afraid. But what happens is it becomes worse because you're, you know, most of these organizations are giving you opportunities to make it, you know, make it right and deal with it. And you're just avoiding it. And what happens is it just becomes that much worse for you, right? So for me, it is a fear and I understand that and I can appreciate it. I'm afraid of, you know, things. I, I'm afraid of things I don't know. Um, you know, those who know me and uh, Marg, you know me, I don't, uh, I'm afraid of my website sometimes. <laughs> but, but you have to overcome that fear because if I don't do it and if I don't understand it, then it's going to own me. And I don't want that. I want it. I want to have control over it so that I can get it to work for me. And that's in this side, it's, that's the purpose of the numbers, getting them to work for you so you can grow your business and, and get that measure of success that you want. So it's like, just sorry, take a deep breath and open the envelopes, please. And, yeah. you know, and watch that money. That's the best thing. And if you really hate it, talk to somebody. That's the biggest thing I tell people. If you hate it, talk to someone right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And that's the thing too. Like I, I do understand, like you said, I understand the fear of it. And especially when the fear, I mean, if you haven't opened a year's worth of CRA things, and then it, at that point it starts to compound and like the fear starts to compound and, and then it would just get worse. So anyone who's listening, who's scared, uh, you just have, I mean, like Susan said, seek some, seek some help from a, yeah. from someone to, to help you through it for sure. Yeah. And, uh, but once you get to know those numbers and then you do see them going up, it, it does become quite empowering. So yeah, exactly. I, yeah. So I implore you to, to face your, face your cash flow fears. <laughs> Uh, no, we just have a couple of questions left. Everyone's they've been with everyone's been really great with us, and uh, we've had so much information. I know I am definitely going to listen to this over again because there's even been been more stuff than than I can keep in my head right now. But uh, if you could give two pieces of advice for someone who's starting as a freelancer from scratch, like they haven't set anything up, what would be the two pieces of advice? Now it could either be to like advice about uh, like how to begin organizing or the first steps that they need to take of people they need to talk to, but what two things would you give them to start off with? Oh yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, there's a lot of things I would tell people, uh, but I guess I think what I, if I look back, what I normally tell people when I meet them, is usually if you're getting started, it's just start doing these, these tracking things right away. You know, just start. It doesn't matter what you do or how you do it. Okay. If whether you're using software or Excel or something, just track, do something. Um, the reason why is it's just going to make your life a lot easier, especially when it comes to tax time. And uh, it's just, just deal with that. Set it, find something that, 
find a system that works for you and do it. Okay. There's no hard and fast rules that say you have to do this. You have to do that. But you just need to get yourself to a point where things are relatively under control, right? So just start, make a plan and do that. And then um, I guess the second one I would probably tell people, well, I do tell them all the time is that when it gets to that point that you're sitting there, you're like, I just, I don't want to deal with this or, or I want to hide. And I, I think I just said it in the last one was that there are so many really good programs out there right now for startups. Like, I mean, amazing programs. You know, we have Startup Canada, we have Futurepreneurs, there are various uh, business advisory centers in, in many municipalities. There's, you know, so many webinars and, and so much to help companies uh, that are just getting started. Use them, get out there, find out what's going on in your community. And, and, don't wait to reach out for some help because a lot of this this uh, this help is free at no cost uh, or subsidized, you know, depending on what it is. And if you wait till you're overwhelmed or really behind, it's going to get really difficult to get back on track and it's going to cause you a lot of headaches. So just to, you know, just reach out to some of the couple of the big ones and, and they'll help. Uh, they'll help you get started. You don't have to do this by yourself. That's the key thing. You're not on your own. Nice. That's good to know because I always forget myself of how many resources there are available to people who are who are just starting up. So as well as the other GST HST ruling phone number, I'll try to add some of those in the uh, in the show notes as well for uh, for you guys to share also. And also I know we talked a little bit about the organization and just starting to track everything. So if somebody's started to track in Google Docs and they have their own or Excel or they have their own tracking. And I know there's so many options when it comes to online software, Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of the next step up for tracking. What would your suggestion be for that kind of software, either in general or specific companies, if you have any? Well, there's so much out there. It's really hard. Like, I mean, it's... uh the market is full of them. Uh, what I always recommend to people is that if you're going to do something and if you're deciding to move to to software, like real accounting software, then you have to do that. Get real accounting software. And remember that there is a difference between software that's created in the United States and software that's created in Canada. We have some very specific rules. So there are two major um, accounting organizations here that develop software, proper accounting ledger software in Canada. Uh, so the one I recommend, because I use prolifically here with my clients, is, is QuickBooks. So it's run by Intuit uh, Canada. And I use that because it has a number of different uh, options depending on the level of the business. You know, there's QuickBooks Self-Employed if you're just starting out, which is a very small application you can use. It's excellent for people. There's QuickBooks Essentials, and then there's QuickBooks Plus for those of you who like need to project costing and and inventory. So there are some really great options. Um, It's cost-effective, and it's from what I can see, it is the leader in, you know, the accounting technology and the integration with all of the various applications that we see out there now that are kind of inundating us, you know, an app for this and an app for that. And I found that many of them are actually speaking to our our accounting software, which is fantastic. So we have this uh, one place to go for everything. So I usually recommend people just start with that, go with that, because 
then it's everything, right? It's not just an invoicing software and it's not just a banking software. It's doing everything because then you can work and collaborate with other people and with your accountant. And it kind of covers you from the start of your business to the end of your business, right? So it's, it's definitely something that I would recommend people look into. And, uh, um, speaking from experience, because I do a lot of work with Intuit, uh, like I said, I'm lucky to, uh, be able to develop and uh, teach a lot of uh, courses for them for small business owners. The one thing I like about this uh, organization particularly is they do offer a lot of free expertise out there, like a lot of free webinars, free tutorials. They're very big on supporting uh, small businesses in Canada. So to me, it's aligning with that organization is, is kind of, you know, there's no question about it for me. And frankly, I use the product. I've been using it for almost, uh, you know, 15 plus years and uh, uh, desktop and then into online. And so I love it. So that's the only reason why I talk about it. So. Awesome. Yeah, I don't know where I'd be if I had to do all of this, all of the... Um, all of the things that these programs do like by hand, mm-hmm. like <laughs> the bookkeeping and online invoicing, they just make everything, especially across country and cross currencies. And, and as long as, I mean, as you, as you've told me before, as long as it all gets organized properly, when it's being input, it allows the reports to be so much easier when you go to pull it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it just makes planning and currency and sales tax and taxes, everything kind of like make yourself easier, you know, make yourself easy, right? Like make it easy for you, because you've got enough going on with what you're trying to sell. This is supposed to help you with your business. It's not supposed to overwhelm you or drive you crazy, right? It's, uh, you know, so find stuff that's going to work for you. Yeah, for sure. And I'll I'll link those up in the show notes. Yes, that's great. Awesome. Um, Well, that's it. I know on some of these topics, I mean, we could do episodes all on their own, but the goal was to give people a holistic view on a lot of the challenges that they experience from an accounting perspective when they first start off as a freelancer, a small business owner. And I think we did successfully do that, even if some of it was a little, some of it, even if some of it was advanced for now, it's stuff that they can work into as their business grows as well too. So is there anything else that you have going on that you want us to tell us about before we sign off? Uh, no, I don't think so. But what I can, I can definitely do is I'm going to, I'll provide for you, Mark, for the, for this, uh, the webinar notes, definitely some of these links to some free resources for some people uh, to, to help them out and, and kind of get them started a little bit. Sometimes all we need is just a little bit of direction and a helping hand. And that's uh, hopefully some, hopefully everybody's taken away a little bit of something from here. And uh, yeah, I've got nothing else other than to say, you know, wish everybody good luck on their businesses. and Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. And like I said, there's been so much information. I know myself, I'm going to have to go back and listen to it. Even though I work closely with Susan, I'm still going to have to go back and listen to it too. Because there's every conversation. Uh, that's why I do recommend the earlier, the better to get an accounting or financial professional, because every conversation, there's something you learn that you didn't know before, because there's just so much to know. So start diving in. And like Susan said, the CRA, some people make them out to be like a big bad monster, but they're not. You can call them and ask them questions. That's right. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So if you're unsure of things, 
nobody's going to get in trouble if you just yeah. go and ask them questions. Exactly. I think it's a, a fear of some people as well, too. Um, yeah. Calling the CRA, they think they're going to get busted or flagged or just for calling. So no, no, no it doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's good to know too. Um, I'm going to link up a bunch of resources in the show notes. And I want to thank you so much for your wealth of information that you've shared with us, Susan. And oh. yeah, if you guys have any questions, uh, feel free to, you know how to get a hold of me, feel free to contact me directly. And then I uh, also link up Susan's information too in the, uh, wherever I'm sharing it. I mean, we'll be on social media. We'll be on uh, the show notes page and everything as well too. So we'll get your information there. Perfect. Thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate it. It was fun. I always love talking about accounting. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. Well, have a good one, Susan. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. As always, I love to keep the conversation going. So head over to Twitter or Instagram at Margaret Fell. That's at M-A-R-G-R-E-F-F-E-L-L. And tag me or slide into my DMs with any questions you may have. You can also find me at my home base of margrafell.com for all the resources. I'll see you next time.